listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. with that. Come on, put your hand on your heart. Michael, you're doing a good job. I'm enjoying that tonight. Put your hand on your heart. We're going to pray for you right now. You're going to pray for yourself that you're going to prepare your heart to receive the Word of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this awesome night. We thank you for being able to be here tonight and for your presence. And we pray that your presence would touch us in a very special way, that God, we would open up our hearts to receive your Word, your touch that you would bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Come on, say amen. High five two people and say the book of James, the book of James, the book of James. Who's ready for a book study? Who's ready for a Bible study? And um, I I was thinking we were going to do this for the next six weeks, but we could be doing this for the next six months. Is that okay? There is just so much. And we're just going to open up the Word of God. And I please plead with you. You need a notepad. You need a pen. You need a tablet, an iPad, something to be taking notes in church. And if you haven't got anything like that, there's an offering envelope in a seat pocket somewhere around you. Open that baby up and use it. There you go. And um, because you need to take notes and, and we're going to take you on a journey. So I'm so excited over the next couple of months that we can be studying the book of James. And one of the reasons we wanted to start doing book studies throughout the year is we want to give you a hunger for the Word of God. We want to show you God's Word, taking books and just diving diving into the Scriptures and just presenting it to you because we, we, we're going to show you the love that you can have for God's Word. In the book of James, we're going to take some of it verse by verse. We're going to take some of it thought by thought. But whatever we do and however we do it, I'm just believing it's going to be awesome. And especially as some people call the book of James the how-to book of Christian living. The how-to book on Christian living. Someone said it this way, the book of James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. We love Proverbs. If you don't love Proverbs, they say this, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. I know it's an apple, but we can make it spiritual. Amen? (laughs) Read a proverb every day. And there's so much insight we can get from Proverbs. The same from James. It's the proverb of the New Testament. Everyday wisdom it can bring into our lives. In the book of James, you can read it in about 12 minutes. It's not a long book, five chapters. It won't take you long. But listen to the introduction of the book of James from the Life Application Bible. It says this, Miraculous, revolutionary, the greatest ever. We are undated by floods of extravagant claims as we channel surf the television or flip magazine pages. 
The messages leap out at us. The products assure us that they are new, improved, fantastic, and capable of changing our life. For only a few dollars, we can have cleaner clothes, whiter teeth, glamorous hair, and tastier food. Automobiles, perfume, diet drinks, mouthwash. We are guaranteed to bring happiness, friends, and a good life. And even just before an election, no one can match the politicians' promises. But talk is cheap. And too often we soon realize that the boasts were hollow and quite far from the truth. Jesus is the answer. Believe in God. Follow me to church. Christians also make great claims, but are often guilty of belying them with their actions. Professing to trust God, doesn't that sound like the Christian atheist that we're talking about on Sundays? Professing to trust God and His people, they can cling tightly to the world and its values. Possessing all the right answers, they contradict the gospel with their lives. With energetic style and crisp, well-chosen words, James confronts this conflict head on. It is not enough to talk the Christian faith. He says we must live it. Think about all the false, empty promises that the world wants to throw our way. Just to be disappointed, to buy that product and it doesn't work. But I wonder how many people feel the same sharing a booth with you at work each day. Sitting beside you in a classroom for months at a time. Hearing that you're a Christian, but yet seeing nothing, feeling nothing, experiencing nothing from your life. You know, the key verse of James is really this, chapter 2 and verse 14. This is really what James is really addressing. The key verse of James, chapter 2, verse 14. But what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Come on, what does that mean? Come on, dear brothers and sisters... The, what's the use of having saving faith if you don't prove it by your actions is what that means. Let me say that again. Dear brothers and sisters, that's the wrong verse, sorry. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying that you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? Listen, that kind of faith cannot save anyone. James 2.14 So think about that. And that's why I love this five-chapter book so much, as it's a reminder to you and I how we are to live, how we are to conduct our lives. How can I be an effective witness? How can my mouth speak the proper things to other people? How can I share that? How can I pass it on to my children? How can I be the example to the next generations? Because you see, the whole book of James wants to expose hypocritical practices and teach right Christian behavior. And that's why the message is so powerful. 
So the message of James is really this, that genuine faith will produce good deeds. And as he outlines practical advice and instructions on how we are to live the Christian life. And I must admit, the book of James is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. So let's look at some history. Let's look at some background to the book of James. The author of this book, or letter, or epistle as it's called, which is just a letter, identifies himself simply as James. A name quite common during those times. And the New Testament actually lists five men that are named James. Two were disciples of Jesus, and one of them was a half-brother or the brother of Jesus who is believed to be the author of this book. So understand this, Mary and Joseph had other children outside of Jesus. Jesus was a special child. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph wasn't the father. Mary carried the child because the Bible says, the angel says, that which will be born in you, that which will be conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. So they had other children. So they were a half-brother. James was a half-brother really to Jesus Christ. And what we understand as we look through the scripture is, that James became a pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. But it didn't start that way. Even having Jesus as a brother, he didn't grow up believing. In fact, he wasn't a believer until after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7, after he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. During the resurrection, Jesus hunted his brother out. Hey, you've maybe been an unbeliever up till now, but let me show you something. As a result of him seeing Christ, scholars tell us, his life was radically changed. He didn't just become a believer, he became a church leader and one that was instrumental to touch so many other people. James was one that we would see in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. He is recorded and listed as being one of those that were there. You can read that in Acts 1 verse 14. So here he is, a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And he puts pen to paper and he begins to write this letter to all the Christian Jews who are scattered out throughout all the region and the areas beyond Palestine. Those who have escaped, those who have fled for fear for their lives. Really, he writes this to Christians everywhere and he writes this about between 48 and 62 AD after the death of Christ and reminding them of proper Christian behavior. And really the five main themes of the book of James can be said like this. The first thing he wants to present to every one of us is this. He wants us to make a confident stand in our lives. And how do we make a confident stand? By seeing and recognizing what a Christian has. What we have available to us. The next main theme of James is this. The compassionate service. In other words, he's expressing and showing, this is what a Christian does. 
This is what we're supposed to do. Then he goes on to talk about careful speech. This is how a Christian should speak. Who's ready for James chapter 3? You better be ready for that one. That's going to be a big one right there. Then he goes on and speaks about contrite submission. In other words, what does a Christian feel? And then the last main point, he talks about concerned sharing. What does a Christian give? So what do we see? What we have, what we do, what we say, what we feel, and what we give. Every dimension of our lives is covered by the letter that James writes in just five chapters. And then James starts this way. James 1, verse 1. He says, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes, to the Christians which are scattered abroad. Think about this. He could have so easily said, hey, I'm James, the brother of Christ. He had every right to be able to say that. But he's making no boast in his position of knowing. Notice that it's not about him in other words. Nor has he identified himself as, hey, I'm a church leader. I'm one of the top dogs in Jerusalem. So you better listen to me. But his greatest honor was to be called a bond servant. A bond servant. Could be given any title and position. But yet the title he wanted was a slave. A servant. Because that's what that word bondservant is translated to be. It refers to an employee or someone who was actually paid wages, often had a considerable skills and responsibilities. But the key factor of a bondservant was this. One that could not resign and work for any other employer. In other words, James was saying, hey, here I am, a Christian serving God, and I'm going to serve God till I die. What an incredible statement. What an incredible truth he paints from the very beginning. And then he jumps straight in. It's like he says, hello. And then he says these words, there's going to be trials and temptations. I mean, it's amazing how he opens the book. You know, you could at least kind of feel us out, give us a little bit of, of joy and blessing. But he just goes, hey, what's up? By the way, you're going to have trials and tribulations. And you don't have to live long to know that we have an enemy. An enemy that is out there. And I love the fact that James is not beating around the bush. He's not wasting his breath. He's jumping straight where you and I live. Come on. He's coming right into our situations. Because I guarantee there's probably not one person here today that's not going through some type of test. Or some type of trial. And if you're not going through it, you've just come through one. And guess what? Another one's on its way. And so he's addressing every one of our lives. No one can turn James off and say, oh man, this isn't relative to my life. He's saying, you're going to have tests. You're going to have trials. But remember this, tests reveal something. 
A test reveals whether you are able to move on to the next level. A test reveals if you are ready to move. You you can't get to the eighth grade if you don't pass the test of the seventh grade. You can't get... So many of us want things in life, but we're not prepared to go through the testing and test out to get to the other level. And James is encouraging us, but yet reminding us that there's something we can learn and find in a test. Look what he says in chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, My brethren, count it all. Say with me, all. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What? What do we know about God? Can we just have a reflect, a reminder about God? Are you ready? God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. We want to be comfortable. We want to have it all in place. And it's not that God doesn't want those things, but God is more interested in the process to get us to the result. We want the result and we want it right now. Because what do we know about God? God is more interested in your holiness than in your happiness. Oh, God doesn't want me happy? No, I never said that. But happiness is based upon happenings circumstances and situations. God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy, having an understanding of who you are in Him, a life that's changed by Him, a life that's living by Him, a life that has the joy of God inside of it, no matter the circumstances and the situations. You're going to remain the same. And Too many of us want to be happy and comfortable. And God says, I want you holy And I want to do something inside of you to build character inside of you. So I want to look tonight at four points that we need to understand when we face tests and trials in our life. Are you ready? Number one, you've got to ask yourself, what's really going on? What's really going on here? Can I read those verses again? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, that's the trials. But we've got to know what's going on here because it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Anyone ever gone through a trial or test? Anyone ever enjoyed the trial and the test? They're not too nice, are they? Maybe you're right there right now and you're kind of squirming because you're like, man, this is uncomfortable preaching already for me tonight. We don't like being under attack. It's not nice. But listen to me. If we don't watch, our problems can hijack the process. Our focus can be on all the problem instead of seeing God the solution or seeing what God wants to do through the problem to produce something in our lives. And that's why James says, consider it joy. Count it joy, not because of the problem, 
but because of the result of the outcome through the problem. Too many of us get hung up with the problem. You, you know those people that, you thank God for caller ID, that you don't have to answer the phone when they call because you know what's coming up. It's just problem, problem, problem. Their whole lives are hijacked by the problems. Do we have problems? Yes, we do. But problems are not the end. Problem is just a period because the thought, the action, the day, the circumstance is not over. There's a continuance that as a child of God, I've got to step over into. And you've got to make a conscious decision to consider it joy and count it joy when you have a test. Because you can be miserable. Remember Jesus going to the other side of the boat? There was a storm in the middle. He's asleep in the middle of the boat. The disciples said, Jesus, don't you care? We have a problem. What was Jesus doing? He wasn't realizing there was a problem. He was showing them what they need to do in the problem. Put your head down on the pillow and sleep because I said we're going to make it to the other side and trust me in that. Listen to me. You're going to make it to the other side, but are you going to make it stressed? Or you're going to make it at peace. And we've got to watch because our problems want to hijack the process. And let me show you what I mean from Proverbs 17 and verse 3. Proverbs 17 and verse 3 says this, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. In order for a precious metal to be refined, it has to be heated up. It has to go into the furnace. And then what happens is it begins to melt and, and, and fall away from the impurities. The impurities float to the surface. They are, they are scooped off. And one record is recorded that how a silversmith knows when the silver is fully pure is when he can see his image. Like a mirror looking back at him. Think about your life. God is over your life and his goal every day. He wants to see himself in your words, in your life, in your action. So sometimes he has to turn up the heat because it's only the heat that's going to remove the impurities from our lives. Precious metals are purified or tried by heat. And the Bible tells us there, as so, God purifies you and I's heart by turning up the heat and the trials and those around. I know what you're thinking. God, there's not a better way. Anyone ever thought that? I mean, God, can you not just do it another way? I mean, you've got to do it through the test and trials. Listen to me. There is another way. But the problem is you and I are so pig-headed and stubborn and rebellious that we just can't see that way until we are brought to our knees, and then all of a sudden our hands go up in the air and we cry out, God, help us. Why is it that we wait for tragedies or trials to turn to God when we can live for God every single day? But listen, if it came easy for us, guess what? Even if it was easy, we wouldn't learn if it was easy. It's through the hardships and the trials. Say with me today, God is using this. Come on, say that with me. God is using this. Whatever this may be, God is using this for what reason? He wants to develop you. I told myself I wasn't going to preach tonight. I was going to teach, but I'm feeling this tonight. 
Come on, God wants to develop you. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God is doing something through the storm and the trial. He's producing in your life. New Living Translation says, For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. You know what perseverance is? Someone said it this way, I love it. Patient endurance. God wants to do a patient endurance, a perseverance inside of you. And that's what every test wants to create in you. For what reason? So you won't react the same next time. Huh? That you won't find yourself saying those wrong things again the next time. That you'll realize, hold on a second, God brought me through before, I'm a different person. God uses the test to develop and change your life. Look at this statement. There's character to be learned in what we try to escape. God, if you could just get me out of this, God says, no, you're right where I want you to be because there's character that needs to be learned and discovered right here. And we're praying to be removed from something that God says, hold on, this is your schooling, this is your training, I'm giving you something, I'm producing something inside of you that you just haven't got any idea of the result of what I am doing. Because I'm telling you right now, read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, God never wastes an experience. He never wastes an opportunity. Oh, we do, and we can But God never does. Point number two. We've got to learn to cooperate with God's growth process. God does things different to us. It's about time we just admit that, realize that, and accept that. We're not God, and thank God you're not God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you ain't God. Come on now. Come on, I'm glad I ain't God. Well, we've got to start cooperating with God's growth process. Why? Because He loves us too much to leave us the same. Verse 4 says this, But let patience have its perfect work, or perfecting work, that you may be perfect. That word there is mature. That you would be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Do we have any bakers here? Anyone like to cook, bake, stuff like that? And we've got some bakers in the house, okay? Can I ask you a couple of questions? If you're making a cake, what happens if you take the cake out of the oven too quick? It's going to fall. It's going to sink. It's not going to be any good, okay? What happens if you take the cake out of the oven too late? It's going to be burnt. Can we all agree tonight, bakers or not, that there's a perfect time? Come on, there's a perfect time that when we can take that out, a right time that it can be right. Trials can actually be our answers to prayer. God, I I want you to change my life. Well, maybe what you're going through today is God answering the prayer because He has to get you just right. He can't take you out too quick because you ain't going to be good for nothing. And he's not interested in you being a burnt mess that is good for nothing. He wants your life to be just right. So the trials that we're trying to escape are the trials that are the answers to the prayers that we are praying. Because God uses adversity to get us where we need to be. 
Romans 5, 3 and 4 says this, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, endurance, verse 4, and perseverance, character. And character brings hope. Come on, anyone wish you stayed at home tonight? Come on, no, no, come on, hang in there. We're going to get to the good. I promise, I promise, I promise. God has a purpose for your trial. And so does the enemy. God has a plan for your trial. And so does the enemy. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice the end of that verse, there's a comma. Because the thought is not finished. God says, hold on, there's trials and maybe for a little while you're going to have to go through trials. But verse 7, the continued thought, the trials that the genuineness of your faith, the trials that's producing something inside of you, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You've got to start cooperating with the process of God. You may not understand it all, but for a small time, a little while, God wants to do something inside of you that's going to be a lifetime of change. Look back at your life. I can promise you this, that some of the greatest moments of your life have come from your darkest times. If you don't believe me, look around you. This church came from one of the darkest times of my life. Come on, it came from one of the darkest times of my life. I I was on staff at a church here in town, had a great salary, a great income, life was great, lost my job, lost everything, didn't know what I was going to do. And through that trial and darkest moments, Heartsease Family Life Church was was birthed inside of me. Come on, you know what else was great in my life? And, And you don't have to shout amen for this, you can amen the church. But you know what else came from one of the darkest times of my life? Kelly? Woo! I'm telling you, God knows. God knows. God knows. Number three, you've got to ask God for help. This is where a lot of us fall flat on our face. And this is where a lot of us don't progress in the process. Because we don't want to ask for help. For what reason? Because by this time, we're already mad at God. Hello? We're already mad at God because I've prayed and I'm still in the test and I'm still in the trial. And God, I'm angry, I'm mad. Bad God, don't like you anymore. you got to watch. Don't jump ship yet. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, don't jump ship yet. you got to ask God for help. It's amazing how long it takes us at times to go to God. Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Applied knowledge. Wisdom is applied knowledge that works. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? 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 Ask God. Or if you're the bishop, you ax God. Come on, you, you don't just ask him, you chop him. You ax God. And who gives to all, how does God give? Liberally 
and without reproach. I love that word reproach because that word reproach means this. You've kind of acted crazy. You've acted dumb. You've acted childish. You don't deserve what you get, but God doesn't look at your merits of your life. God looks at the need of your life. So God says, I'm not giving you what you deserve. I'm giving you what you need. And God says, I'm giving you the wisdom that you need for your life. And it will be given to him. What a great promise. Most don't unlock through asking, however. Wisdom is the ability to apply what you probably already know. You need the wisdom. It's amazing when you can come to counseling and you can sit down with one of our pastoral care teams. We're probably not telling you anything that you don't already know. But all of a sudden, it just rings to you because you're like, oh, okay, it's like the light bells come. It's something you already know, but you don't do. You see, wisdom is not just knowing. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Putting what you know to do, what's right, into action. And we're so quick in our trials to ask why. Why, God? Why, God? Why? Change your why to a what? God, instead of questioning why you're going through that, start asking God, what are you trying to show me in this? What are you trying to produce in this for my life? Because that's a whole different attitude towards God. Because when you're why in God, you're questioning God. But, but when you are what in God, you are asking Him His plan and purpose for your life. You're not questioning Him. You're asking for Him to reveal His plan for your life. And last but not least, almost finished. I'm out of time. Number four, you've got to keep a good attitude. Keep a good attitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. It says this in verse 6, 7 and 8, but we are to ask him in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man, which man? The man who doubts instead of trusting God, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man and will be, is the thought, unstable in all of his ways. You have a stinking attitude. It's going to affect every part of your life. You've got a negative attitude. It's going to affect your life. We must believe and not doubt. But please understand this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. A lot of us have been taught that for years. It's the opposite of faith. You can have faith and still question. It's not the opposite because it almost means you don't have faith if you doubt. Now, doubt is taking place of where faith wants to be, but it doesn't mean you don't have faith. So the enemy can play with you here and say, oh, you've got doubt, so you don't have faith. You've got faith in God, but you've got to be like that man who was looking for his son to be healed. He says, hey, I believe, but you've got to help me with some of the areas of unbelief in my life. 
And I think one of the ways that we can see belief rise inside of our lives is to change our attitude. How we look at things, how we approach things, how we present things, how we talk about things. Man, faith can begin to rise when we begin to speak different. Come on, it's easy to see the need and speak to the need. Why can't we see the solution and speak to the solution? It may be harder to see, but don't let the problem hijack the miracle from you. Start speaking to your marriage. Start speaking to your finances. Start speaking to your body. Be healed. Start speaking those things. Why? Because that's when faith begins to rise and where faith comes, doubt has to go. It has to leave. It's an attitude we need to change our outlook. A new attitude. How we see things. Not how we feel things. Well, I just don't feel good. Come on, feelings will lie to you all day long. And you know they're lying to you too and you'll admit it. My feelings ain't wrong, but they're my feelings and I want to have them. Get rid of those feelings. Change your attitude because it's going to affect every part of your life. Trials are coming, but they're for a purpose. They're for a purpose. Next week, we're going to continue. And guess what we're talking about next week? We're going to look at temptations next week. We're going to look at the temptation. We're going to see the process of temptation, but we're going to discover how we can overcome because being tempted is not the sin. Every one of us are tempted. God's provided a way of escape. And we're going to discover that way of escape next week. You need to be there. But here's what I want you to learn tonight. Are you ready? Notepads out. Here's what I want you to learn tonight. Are you ready? The Christian life can be painful at times. But it's pain with purpose. Come on, the Christian life can be painful at times. But it's a pain with a purpose. Because God is using the pain to produce something greater inside of you. Greater than you could ever even begin to fathom and imagine. You've got to stay the course. You've got to cooperate through the process. Keep asking God. You've got to keep believing God. And what have you got to do? You've got to keep a good, right attitude. Because what did we say? God is more concerned about what is happening within you than that which is happening around you. Stay the course. Keep the faith. Bow your heads tonight. Got homework for you too. Homework for you this week is, here's what I want you to do. Every day this week, read a chapter of the book of James. Read read through James. If you want to stay on chapter one, read chapter one every day for this whole week and let it sink inside of your heart and say, God, through your word, Pastors brought out things that I have never seen before. God, through this trial, through this test, God, you want to do something inside of my life. Could we just stand to our feet and as we stand, could we just bow our heads tonight? I wonder tonight how many people are going through 
a test and a trial. Come on, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Come on, who who put up their hand and say, come on, Pastor, I'm right there. You, you, you preached, you read my mail today. You, you stamped all over me today. My toes are sore. You stamped all over me. Come on, God knows that. You can put your hand down. I'm telling you, God knows exactly where you're at. But the problem is, you see, we don't know where we're at. We think we're in a trial, and we are. But that's the comma. It's not the period. Because God has not finished with us yet. God has not finished with us yet. I want to pray for those of you. Those of you who lifted up your hands, could you just quickly come to the front? Come on, wherever you're at, all over this place. Just begin to come to the front right now. I want to pray over you tonight. I want to pray over you tonight. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in a few moments. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. And what I'm going to ask you to do in a few moments, don't do it, not right now, but I'm going to ask you to do something, and that's this. Are you ready? In a few moments, I want you to lift your hands up as a sign of surrender. Because think about this. That's what we need to do. Because so many times we fight the process of what God is trying to do in our lives. So you know what we're going to say today? God, whatever you need. God, God, I'm surrendered to your will. I'm surrendered to your plan. Can you, in your own way, before you lift up your hands, can you just make that declaration to God? Just in your own words, God, I'm surrendering. And as you make that declaration, come on, you can just begin to lift up your hands all over this place. And you can join them where you're standing at the back today. Can you just make that declaration? Can we just say, God, I give everything to you in the name of Jesus right now. We give everything to you right now. Every trial, every test, every pressure, every adversity, every struggle. God, we just know tonight and we're reminded tonight that, God, you never waste an opportunity. And God, you are doing something through this storm. God, greater than I could ever imagine. But God, just like James, the instruction is this. I've got to keep my faith. I've got to maintain my testimony. I've got to keep my trust in God. And the enemy wants to distract me and destroy me and take me out. But I just want to make a commitment right now with my hands in the air saying, God, I surrender everything to you. And I ask right now for your presence. I ask right now for your peace. I ask for your direction. And I ask for your help right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, begin to thank Him for it right now. Come on, just begin to thank Him for it. That He's in the boat with you. Can you just begin to thank Him? That He's doing something inside of you. God, I thank you, God. Because it's a great what. It's not a great why. It's a great what that God is doing. And God, we're going to thank you through it. We're going to... God, see your strength. We're going to see your strength. We're going to see your provision. Your provision. If you can, just look at me just really quickly. Those of you at the front, everyone here. Remember, God wants to do something within you. Greater than something around you. Because when you're changed, everything changes. And God wants to do something great inside of you. And God wants to do something awesome and miraculous. And supernatural, supernatural. Can I just share two really great testimonies just really quick and then I'm going to dismiss you. On Sunday, we had the opportunity, some of our lead team, to pray over two ladies 
that had to go in for tests this week because they found a mass, they found a lump, a tumor in their breast. Two different ladies. And can I tell you right now that both of them were prayed for on Sunday. Both of them have come back with great reports that whatever it was has shrunk, that they think it's just a cyst, that they don't think it's a mass or anything anymore. They're going to have to check back. But come on, doctors can check back because it's going to be gone. Amen. Come on, we're already seeing God doing great things. God doing great things. And let me say this. Wow, we had a service Sunday, didn't we? Didn't we have a service Sunday? I am so pumped and excited. This is probably one of the most exciting messages that I'm going to get the privilege to preach for a long time on Sunday. Because listen to this. We're talking about the Christian atheist, but here's what we're talking about Sunday. We say we believe in God, but we cannot forgive ourselves. We say we believe in God, but we're carrying the guilt and the shame of our past. I'm telling you, you need to get everyone you know in the house on Sunday. You need to be here. You need to be praying because God is going to set some people free of some burdens on Sunday morning. Who believes that with me? Because the hardest thing to do in life is to forgive yourself and to move on. And God's going to set some people free because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Turn around and hug some people and tell them have a great week. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.